Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, November 9th, 2018. On this report, I will spend the time I have with you reminding you that tomorrow, November 10th, is the Marine Corps birthday, but more importantly for this week, Sunday, November 11th, 2018, is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, or what used to be known as Armistice Day. I talk about the 100th anniversary in order to honor those who served, especially those who died in that European struggle. And it was a European struggle, for the most part, pitting England, France, Italy, Romania, Russia against Germany and what was then known as the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The end of the war brought an end to the Austro-Hungarian Empire as well as the Ottoman Empire. New countries were born. Old countries died. Modern-day Turkey, Iraq... Iran, not the ancient land of Persia, but the new land of Iran, Saudi Arabia, all just lines drawn on the sand by Great Britain, but nevertheless, they were all created along with the right of Jews to immigrate to Palestine, resulting ultimately in the state of Israel after World War II. Communism, fascism had their start in World War I along with Lenin, Stalin, and Hitler, What caused all this slaughter? The slaughter that was to come from 1914 to 1918. There are many answers. Probably none of them completely or totally accurate. But for one thing, Europe's old leaders, its nobility, its royalty, its royal families were all related. England, France, Germany, Austria, Italy, and Russia all had royal families that were intermarried, interrelated. It was a family squabble, in other words with a lot of old scores, old grudges to settle. None of them could possibly imagine the slaughter to which their people were about to be subjected or the fact that the war would destroy their families and destroy the royal system itself. The world was altered inversely every way by that war, even geographically. The geography of the European continent was changed in several ways by the war, 6,000 Square miles of France was converted into an uninhabitable wilderness, and vegetation is still not completely recovered. Some hills across the continent were lowered by 50 to 100 feet by the shelling. Not a single living tree stood in Belgium because of the many years of fighting there. The warring armies both used a tactic of tunneling deep under the trenches of the enemy to plant massive explosive charges to collapse the enemy trenches, but the explosions also collapsed the surrounding landscape, creating vast lakes that still exist today. The social order of Europe was changed by the massive number of men under arms, men gone for so long. Women were pressed into service in many occupations previously reserved for men. The social class structure, so rigid before the war with the master-servant Class system, unshakable, was shaken, shaken to the core and destroyed by the war. The sons of the nobility, the sons of the royalty, were expected to lead the movement to fill the ranks and to provide leadership in the officer corps. So many of the nobility and other upper classes were slaughtered in the trenches of Europe. There was not enough of them left to maintain the system. Women refused to go back into servitude and demanded Their place in society, women were elected to parliament for the first time. Women in parliament would have been unthinkable before the war, but 
people suffered so much. Everything was now different. I said I wanted to remind you of this anniversary as a way of honoring those who served, especially those who died. Well, there were certainly a lot of people to honor, that's for sure. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 million combatants were slaughtered. In the trenches of Europe, around 40 million were wounded, many of them horribly wounded. Plastic surgery was begun after this war as a way to repair some of the horrible wounds that kept these men from being able to lead something like normal lives. Vast pandemics of disease spread across the world, killing millions of people. The Spanish flu epidemic killed an estimated 18 million people during the war. The Spanish flu would rip through any area that had mass numbers of people, such as prisoner of war compounds and places where soldiers were sent to recover from their wounds. An entire generation of Europe's young men was destroyed, leaving a gap that could never be completely filled. The war spawned many people who rose to fame later, but who received their initial training in World War I. Some of those people were Adolf Hitler, who left the Austrian-German army as a corporal. Fourteen years later, he was elected Chancellor of Germany, Winston Churchill, had a date with destiny and with Hitler some 20 years later. Harry Truman was an artillery officer in the American Army. George Patton got his early work in tanks as tanks were invented during this war. Douglas MacArthur wounded several times during World War I. The great German generals such as Rommel, von Rundstedt, Guderian, Keitel, all were trained in tactics during World War I. Their service in the German Army Tanks, machine guns, poison gas, warplanes, all invented during this war. The greatest nations on earth devoted 100% of their industrial might to finding new and better ways to slaughter each other. The United States managed to stay out of the war until finally in late 1917 it succumbed, finally succumbed to war propaganda and declared war on Germany. Although war was declared against Germany in 1917, American troops did not arrive in France until May of 1918. There are many theories about how they acquired the nickname Doughboys. I suppose one theory is as good as another. Some said their uniforms with the bulky great coats looked like Doughboys. Some said the color of their buttons. Some said they had a fondness for donuts. Some said the dust kicked up by their vehicles and their marching feet made them look like dough. There were no passenger airplanes back then. So these doughboys traveled to France by ship, about one million of them. When they landed on the French coast, they had to march, use wheel vehicles, some of them drawn by horses, to get from the French coast where they landed to Paris. When the great French general Lafayette served so gallantly on George Washington's staff, Washington told him that someday America would repay that debt to France, the commanding general of the American Expeditionary Force in Europe. General John Blackjack Pershing was aware of Washington's promise to Lafayette, and when he got to Paris, he went to Lafayette's statue, and he said, Lafayette, we are here. Stories appearing in the newspapers of the day, since there was no television, no Internet. People actually had to read newspapers for information. 
These stories mention the appearance of the Americans that they made to the French civilian population, especially the women. They were described as big, boisterous, full of life, always laughing, always joyful. And I suppose they were, compared to the French and British soldiers who suffered from three years of trench warfare, wounded, starved, racked by disease, suffering from all kinds of psychosomatic conditions. These Americans were new, fresh. They never tasted defeat, and they never experienced one minute of trench warfare. American soldiers and Marines didn't believe in trenches. They believed in forward momentum, no matter what it cost. Tomorrow, the 10th of November, is the Marine Corps birthday, as I said. And the United States Marine Corps is the only American unit to have a full park-like memorial, similar to a national battlefield here in America, such as Gettysburg. This park located on French soil, the Germans were threatening Paris, you see, when the Americans arrived. They opened the salient into a wooded area just outside Paris, known as Belleau Wood. Paris was in danger. The Germans had to be dislodged from that wood. The task was assigned to the Marine Corps, the first major combat engagement for the Americans in the war, and that bolstered the Marines' reputation as first to fight. Well, tactics back then were a little different from today. From what I was taught as a young officer, the Germans were dug into these woods, and they had some 40 machine guns in the woods with interlocking fire trained on the open ground in front of the wood. I was taught that the proper tactic would be to set up a base of fire with one unit to impress, uh, suppress enemy fire and then maneuver toward the enemy, rotating the attacking units and the fire base units to confuse the enemy. But these Marines instead formed in line abreast. They stood in the tall grass and walked toward the woods in good order. Five times the Germans broke their attack and drove them back. But on the sixth time, they were successful, and they put the Germans to the bayonet. In that one brief battle, the Marines suffered 10,000 casualties. But they sent a message to the Allies and to the Germans as well. And that message was that these Americans were there, and they weren't going anywhere. And the end of the war became a foregone conclusion. In total, the Americans suffered about 50,000 dead, 200,000 wounded in World War I. If you count those lost to disease, the death toll is more like 120,000. They slaughtered each other on such a, such a scale no one could imagine or believe that it could ever happen again. The whole world committing mass suicide at the same time. Who could imagine such a thing? But just 20 years later, it happened again. The exact same nations with a couple of new ones thrown in for good measure, just to make it worse. In conclusion, the boys were called to arms. They, as well as their nation, 
were rather naive about it all. Southern boys from Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, farm boys from Ohio, Kansas, city boys from New York and Chicago, all signed on to become doughboys. Even a cadre from Ivy League universities known as Harvard Volunteers helped to fill the ranks. Off they went to France, about one million of them. Not a single one is left alive now. No one from any nation is still living who was a World War I veteran. Finally, folks, this very weekend, tonight, as a matter of fact, tomorrow night and Sunday night, too, to all who have served, both living and dead, I raise a glass to you, and I will burn a cigar and let the incense of cigar smoke float back to heaven from where it came. I know you would do the same for me. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks. This is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.